Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and look at a few more references of Scripture that are the words of the living God as was prayed moments ago that tell us about the second coming of our Lord. A common theme, a popular theme, a warranted theme of the New Testament among the believers and among the apostles. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself taught it, the apostles took it up, and the early saints lived in light of it. We are much closer to it than they were. If the Apostle Paul could say, now is our salvation nearer than when we believed in Romans chapter 13, how much more can we say that? Amen. We'll be quick. We'll look at a few references of Scripture. And we'll think about our Lord's coming even further. And let us pray that these verses and the power of the Holy Spirit will cause these things to lodge in our hearts. That it will change our lives and our perspective of life. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Paul is thanking God on the behalf of the Corinthian church for the grace of God given to them in Christ Jesus in verse 4, that they were truly enriched by Him in all utterance and all knowledge, as the testimony of Christ had been confirmed in them. Verse 6. So we have verse 7. So that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What I'm trying to do by these verses is to show you the emphasis on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a common theme, and it should be a common theme among us. And if we don't think of it, or write of it, or speak of it to each other, then we're missing the emphasis of the New Testament. If in this life, I've said this once today already, and once two weeks ago, I remember, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Because Christianity is not an exciting religion if all we have is this life, there is a whole nother life that we are waiting for. First Corinthians 1 7. The Corinthian church definitely had their spiritual gifts. Prophets, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and miracles and helps and all the other gifts, words of wisdom, words of knowledge that we're able to read about in chapters 12 through 14. And so the apostle says in verse 7, so that ye come behind in no gift. He is thankful for them that they are enriched by God, that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ they were what they were, though He's going to rebuke them for a number of doctrinal and practical errors. But He points out that they are waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what this church should be known for. Waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want that as our reputation. There's a group of saints in Greenville that are waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a common theme among us. We sing about it. And we've sung a few extra songs today about it. And I hope that they stir up your heart to want to think about it. Who shall also confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ will confirm us legally and vitally and there is no chance of us being lost. But for those who seek Him by faith, 
He will also confirm them in that faith that they can be found of Him full of faith in the day when He comes. And we want Him confirming us and preserving us, body, soul, and spirit, blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we choose a path of foolishness or wickedness, we shall not be preserved blameless in any practical way. While the Lord will save all of His elect, we want to be found blameless when we're looked upon by the Lord Jesus Christ and we stand before Him. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now, he started off the epistle by thanking God always for the good things about the Corinthians. And he's going to end the epistle with something that is not so positive about the coming of Jesus Christ. He gives his salutation of it with his own hand in verse 21. And then we have these words in verse 22. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. These two words you have to look up because we don't use them in sentences and they're not used elsewhere in the Bible. Anathema, Maranatha. If you've read much, you know what the word anathema means. It's to bring a curse upon someone. It's to judge them. To reject them. Anathema, Maranatha, is a word meaning the coming of the Lord. And so the Apostle says, if any man, and he has just dealt with false teachers in that church that were denying the resurrection of the dead and that were doing other things. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be cursed at the coming of the Lord. That is one strong verse. Amen. Now let every, let every ear hear it here. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. Let him be under the curse of God at the coming of the Lord. Let us love the Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming as judge and Savior. Let us be found in His saving arms, not under His judging feet. Let us run to the Lord Jesus Christ and love Him, seek Him, delight in Him, glory in Him, speak of Him, read about Him, look for His appearing, love His appearing. And then there will be no anathema for you at that Maranatha. But there will be anathema for all those that have despised Him with all their ungodly speeches that all ungodly men have spoken in an ungodly way against Him. They will be judged. There will be an anathema as He with flaming fire, with His mighty angels, descends in vengeance upon this earth. We do not want to be in that number. And so the warning and the curse of the Apostle Paul is on false teachers in Corinth and any others that did not want to love the Lord Jesus Christ, but instead were false apostles. Let's turn over to Philippians. The little epistle of Philippians. Oh, those are sober words. The Apostle Paul has many nice things to say about the coming of the Lord, but that's pretty serious. And we'll see some more serious ones when he wants to get Timothy's attention. Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read three verses, 9 through 11. They're they're precious verses. They tell us what our goal should be for our lives right now. Philippians 1.9 And this I pray. This is what an apostle would pray for a good church. And this I pray 
that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. If we are ever filled with the fruits of righteousness, it's by the Lord Jesus Christ who strengtheneth us to do such a thing. The Apostle Paul, when speaking of his learning of contentment, in Philippians chapter 4, the same epistle, he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. If we are filled with fruits of righteousness, it's by His power, but the fruits of righteousness are by us giving diligence to make our calling and election sure that these things are found in us. This I pray, here's his prayer, that love would abound yet more and more in knowledge and all judgment. It wouldn't just be frothy feelings, but it would be the proper love of a child of God toward others. It would be the love defined by the Bible, based in knowledge and fair treatment of others. That, because of that knowledge and judgment, you would approve things that are excellent in your lives. Your thoughts would be excellent, your speech excellent, and your deeds excellent. That ye may approve things that are excellent, so that, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. That's the goal. That's his prayer. The Philippian church was a good church. He brags about this church to the church at Corinth. The prayer of the apostle is to be increasing in something. We can't sit still. To sit still is to be a fruitless Christian. Trees don't stay the same. They bear fruit. They, they bud. They leave. They have leaves come forth and fruit come forth. And we want to be pressing forward with love abounding yet more and more, approving things that are excellent, being filled with the fruits of righteousness under the glory and praise of God. And we want to do this so that when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, we are sincere and without offense. We are not found in as hypocrites, having sat in church, but our hearts are not in it. Our lives are not in it. Our love is not in it. Sincere and without offense. That's how we want to be found. We do not want the Lord Jesus Christ to find us with sin in our lives, with hypocrisy in our lives. You say, but I can't, I'm going to sin. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you're cleansed by the faithfulness and justice of God, there's no sin or offense left. It's covered, it's washed, it's put away. We can meet Him sincerely and without offense. So the Apostle writes to the church at Philippi, come over to chapter 3. Let's see it again. Philippians chapter 3. Oh, it's a common theme. I'm not going to hit them all. We hit some of them two weeks ago, mainly the ones from the Thessalonians, one of which chapter you read last night. We're going to look at some others. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 17. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, 
who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. All things shall be subdued unto the Son of God, and then He will deliver up the kingdom to God, that God may be all in all. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 28. Verse 17, Brethren, mark those, mark myself, follow our example on the way we live. Follow the, how much did the Apostle Paul have in this world? How big was his 401k plan? How big was his estate? How fancy was his car? How secure was his life? Where did he end up living in, what was his retirement home? A prison in Rome. Mark us and follow our examples that you have us for an example. Because you're going to always see two kinds of men in every church, including the church at Philippi and including our church. For many walk. I wish the apostle had written, for there's a few that walk. I wish he had written, for there are none that walk. You know what I mean? When I say, I wish he had written, you know what I mean. I speak as a fool for a moment to get your attention. For many walk. These are not worldlings. Worldlings are always walking that way and it wouldn't mean a thing. These are, the, these are ones who have taken the name of Christ and do not live up to it. He has just told you in verse 17, Mark the ones that look like me, that live like me, and live like them. Then in verse seven, verses 18 and 19, he describes some others that live differently. For many walk, of whom I have told you often. There were many warnings about carnal Christians, if they're Christians at all. And now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction. The, those are not carnal Christians. Those are reprobates, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. The worst condemnation, Paul builds his case through 18 and 19 to get to the last words. Who mind earthly things. And, and how many times have I preached this verse? I can say with Paul that I have often told you about this verse and this problem, this error in the lives of men who mind earthly things. What, what, does you, what do you think about the most? Who mind earthly things? What do you care about the most? Right. Where do you show the most zeal and enthusiasm in your life? What is it that you own that's exciting to you? Is it your vehicle? Is it your house? Is it your big video system? What is it? Is it your job? Is it your marriage? Is it your children? Is it their education? These are all earthly things. They amount to nothing. They're all going to be dissolved. God's not going to measure anyone by your education when you stand before Him. He's going to measure you by your faith and righteousness. Who mind earthly things. They're belly worshipers. They look like fat little Buddhas. They worship their belly. 
That is an expression by the apostle to say what they eat and what they wear to cover their belly and to fill their belly is more important to them than anything else. Whose glory is in their shame. What they get excited about is shameful things because all the things of this world are going away. They will be dissolved. This is a warning. Their end is destruction. A man whose mind and heart is set on the things of this life is giving the signs that he is not a child of God. Can there be some who mind earthly things and end up in heaven? Yes. They're the exceptions. Like Lot. Lot will be in heaven who pitched his tent toward Sodom. But he is an exception and no one who minds earthly things can say, I'm like Lot because there's no Second Peter chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 about you. Those are frightening verses. Who mind earthly things. The ones that he told these saints to pick out of the church that looked like Paul, he then describes what they live like and what they mind. Look at verses 20 and 21. For our conversation, what does conversation mean? What we talk about over coffee or our lifestyle? For our lifestyle is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our way of living is all about heaven. Everything Paul was doing is about what's the Lord think of this? Is this for the Lord's sake? Is this for the kingdom of heaven's sake? And we're looking and we're waiting for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything we do is geared toward heaven. And the thing we're looking for is not a promotion or to get a bigger car or a newer car or anything like that. It's to look for Jesus Christ coming from heaven. Who shall change our vile... There's reasons to get excited about heaven. Who shall change our vile body? You know, I'm not going to call anyone up this morning or this afternoon to throw away your hearing aids and have me stick my finger in your ear and start talking about another Jesus like Benny Hinn might. But I'll tell you, there is a Jesus that will get rid of hearing aids. I saw one of our little sisters at break time with a little insulin pump. And I went over and told her, those are not allowed in heaven. Amen. Not allowed in heaven. Because they're not. Right. And she reminded me that she also has to prick her finger several times a day. That got, that got to me even worse. That's not allowed in heaven. Because He's going to change our vile body. Amen. Your body's vile. Did you know that every Israelite had to carry something along with his weapon? When he went through Israel, he had to have a paddle on it. That's a shovel for your information. So that when you went through the camp, you were able to dig a hole and bury something that came out from behind you and cover it up so that the Lord wouldn't walk through the camp and find an abomination in Israel. They had underground sewer in Israel. It's a shame that our ancestors 150 years ago hadn't figured that out yet. But they had figured it out in 2000 B.C., Our vile body. All those things are going to be changed. It will be a glorious body. There will be no abomination in heaven. Now I know that you probably didn't bargain for that when you came to hear about the second coming of what I was just speaking about. But listen, it's all in there. It says our vile body. I can think of a lot of vile things. I'll stop where I did. Who shall change our vile body that's corrupting, it will no longer corrupt, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body. Doesn't First John say, we don't know what we're going to be like, but we know that when He appears, we're going to be like Him? 
Because He's going to fashion our bodies like His body. Now let me, let me take a little break here for a second. This past week, some scientists said that they have broken the speed of light. The speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. That's seven times around the earth per second. Albert Einstein wrote laws and theorems based on that speed. And some scientists came out this week and said that they had broken it with some particles that they were able to move three inches almost instantaneously. Don't, I just want to tell, when I read something like that, how long does it take the Lord to get to heaven? Does he go at the speed of light? Do you know what they tell us? It, it's taken billions and billions of years for light from some stars to get here. Uh-huh. When I read Genesis, the light was here. Then God made the stars. Amen. Isn't that what the Bible says? Right. Wasn't light day one and stars day four? They broke the speed of light. I'll tell you who's going to break the speed of light. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to give us a body that can do the same thing. Do you know how long it takes you to get to heaven? Twinkling of an eye. <laughs> is that exciting? He's going to change. Now that is a glorious body. And some of you guys get excited about an 11 second quarter mile in a car. Are you kidding me? 11 seconds? A man could live, have birthdays, and die in that long a time. 11 seconds to go a quarter of a mile. You say, oh, I, I saw a hot rod that did it in four. Oh, really? We're going to be in heaven in the twinkling of an eye. Talk about the speed of light. How about the speed of life? How about the speed of the Lord Jesus Christ? Right. That poor thief hanging on the cross today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, led, he just rose up in the presence of the disciples into the clouds. How much exhaust blast was there? Were they having to shield themselves from the helicopter blades? Was there any of that? Did he have an oxygen tank? Did he have a pressurized suit? Was it painted white on the outside with special flakes to keep it from melting as he passed the sun? He's going to change our vile bodies to be like his glorious body. You know... This is all true. You know what? It's revealed in the Bible. Nowhere else are you going to get this revealed. You can go read some scientific magazine about speed and flight, and they're never going to tell you about how fast the Lord could move. Right. You know, Matthew Jones works for Lockheed Corporation. They make their money based on speed and flight in many of their products. We... This is the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's going to do for us. And I took a little aside there for this purpose. I want you to delight in what verse 21 says, Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. Is the Lord able? He is entirely able. He will put all enemies under His feet, and the last enemy He puts under His feet? Death. And all enemies will be under His feet. He'll deliver the whole kingdom up to God that God may be all in all. This is my Lord Jesus Christ. I love Him. I want to live for Him. I want you to live for Him. And we want to follow those men that live for Him, like the Apostle Paul. For their manner of living or their lifestyle was in heaven, from whence also they looked for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're to be looking for. Let's not mind earthly things. 
If you're minding earthly things, destruction is your end. By the evidence that's shown. First Timothy chapter 6. I'm skipping over the Thessalonians. We worked them pretty well two weeks ago. They are, that epistle did have the most dense wording about the second coming. Every chapter in both epistles mentions something about the coming of Jesus Christ. First Timothy chapter six, Paul is trying, is seeking to get Timothy's attention and charging him with the importance of his ministry. He has just taught in verses six through ten that the love of money is the root of all evil. And he's told Timothy, having food and raiment, let us be there with content. He's told him that false teachers will arrive, will arise, false teachers will arise who base their ministries and measure their ministries by gain. And he says that is not the gospel. True gain is godliness with contentment. And the love of money is the root of all evil, which while men have covered it after, they have erred from the truth and departed from the faith. And so then he tells Timothy in verse 11, but thou, but in opposition to this love of money, this filthy lucre that gets the attention of other men, but thou, O man of God, flee these things. And follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Reject all that. Take all this that I've just given you about your godly life. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul wanted to get Timothy's attention, I charge you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the sight of God, because he's coming again, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until that coming. You be faithful to what I just charged you. Paul was leaving. And he wanted that second generation minister to be faithful to the commandment of faith. And godliness and righteousness and love, patience and meekness, rather than the ministry based on material gain described earlier in those verses. And then he goes on to describe the coming. And these are verses that we love and we quote often. When it says the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 14, it's described in verse 15 which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to show that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. It will be one grand and glorious display. It will shock the senses. You have never imagined anything like the Lord Jesus Christ. There There are no words to fully convey the impression you will get from seeing him. If John fell at his feet as dead, what will we do? But he's going to come with glory and love and acceptance for us. If we professed our faith in him and laid hold of him by love and good works. If we've done his will, we'll rejoice to see him in that day. And we'll love the power. 2 Timothy 4. Paul did the same thing to Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. 
I charge thee, therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. You want to know when the kingdom is going to be fully revealed? At His appearing. Because that's the end. 1 Corinthians 15. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Timothy, don't back off. The time's going to come when they won't endure sound doctrine. They're going to heap to themselves teachers different than you. They're going to want fables and entertainment. They're going to turn their ears away from the truth. Don't you change. Preach the word. Be instant. Be insistent, pressing and urgent upon all men. And how did he get his attention to do that? In the face of a total ministerial compromise that was coming? I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming as Judge Timothy, knowing the terror of the Lord, live in such a way that you will not have to give an account for a compromising ministry. Paul said everything he did in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he did that he might be accepted of him. Because he knew that he was going to give an account. And especially he would give a ministerial account for how he had led the people of God. Notice the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's comforting. It's threatening. It's warning. It's provoking. It's throughout the New Testament. It's encouraging. It's exciting. All at once. Because it's going to be one incredible display of the power and judgment of God. But it will usher us into eternal heaven and our eternal inheritance reserved in heaven, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved for us there. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9, the last two verses of the chapter, verses 27 and 28. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Here's where we get the word, the word second is in the Bible. You know, it's not called the second coming per se, but the second time He shall appear without sin unto salvation because Jesus Christ died one time for us to deliver us from death. And unto them that look for Him. Now what kind of looking is that? When we read the Bible, we should read it carefully. The Bible says that no man can say that Jesus Christ is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 12.3 Can any man verbalize the words, Jesus Christ is Lord? Yes. But can any man verbalize the words, Jesus Christ is Lord, with a sincere and noble heart that loves Him and will submit himself to Him and do what He commands? No, not every man can do that. Only men by the Spirit of God are able to do that. And this looking is not just sitting here singing, there's a lamb that is fairer than day. This looking is someone who thinks about it, waits for it, loves his appearing, is looking for it, wants it, anticipates it, is excited about it, speaks of it, and lets it change his life. That man, Jesus Christ, is coming for him. And unto them that look for him, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. There will be no legal remembrance of our sins brought up, no vital remembrance of our sins brought up, because they're paid for by the blood of the Lamb that has washed every name in the book of life free from all their sins. Second Peter chapter 3. 
Second Peter chapter three. It's a lot of the New Testament. Let me ask you a question before I get to chapter three. It's out of chapter one. Peter said, We did not use cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were not telling you fables. You know, if you were to listen to all this, you'd think that that's a pretty cunningly devised fable if you're a worldling. But for a child of God, Peter said, We didn't use cunningly devised fables when we made known and told you what it's going to be like when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. It is going to be unbelievably magnificent. However, until he comes, there's going to be scoffers that say, where is his coming? In verse 3 of chapter 3, Peter said, Knowing this first, even though we've told you many things, beloved, and we tell you them these things again to remind you of what the prophets of the Lord and what the apostles of the Lord have said, know this, verse 3, First, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Notice what it says about false teachers that deny the second coming of Jesus Christ. They walk after their own lusts. If you measure their lifestyle, it's not a holy lifestyle. It's a worldly lifestyle. It's an emphasis on minding earthly things that feed their lusts rather than the things of heaven. Peter wants you to know that there'll be scoffers. And the devil's a scoffer. And so if you ever have a little fiery dart that flies into your heart that says, how do you know the Lord's going to come? Asking you. How do you know the Lord's going to come? He hasn't come in thousands of years. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if you read books that deny the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not preterists. Amen. Preterism is the application of all Bible prophecies to 70 A.D., including these verses we're reading about. All these verses. We are not preterists by any stretch of the imagination. There's a bodily, visible, physical appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ to burn up this planet. And you can get it right out of 2 Peter chapter 3 and several other places. Amen. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is stolen by the preterists. They turn it into a, figure, a figment of the imagination. A figurative, mysterious, spiritualized event. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead. Bodies are going to come out of cemeteries. And it's yet to come in the future. It hasn't happened yet. Right. Watch. Where's the promise of His coming? Nothing has changed from the creation of the world. The worst ignorance you can ever have is willful ignorance. You know, if you're ignorant because God hasn't shown you something yet, He just hasn't shown you yet. He may show you tomorrow. But if you're ignorant because you've chosen that you're going to reject truth of God, willingly ignorant, choosing not to think about something because you want to believe it your own way, that's a terrible ignorance. There is no blindness so great as the desire not to see. Verse 5, For this they willingly are ignorant of. The ones who are saying nothing's happened since the creation of the world. 
This they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. They're forgetting an event that was worldwide in its scope and took care of the entire earth mass of the United, uh, the entire earth mass of the world because it was overflowed with water and there was water several meters above, cubit, number of cubits above the highest mountain. They are willingly ignorant. They are not remembering that there was one cataclysmic event already in the history of this world. And that Grand Canyon that you can sit in and look up at cliffs one one mile above you, that's just a little bit of water runoff. Verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now. What kind of heavens and earth are we talking about? Some figurative, spiritualized idea of the preterist? Or the the physical, geological, geographical earth? that we walk on and dig up with a shovel. But the heavens and the earth which are now, after the flood, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. This is an event that is coming, and it's a whole lot bigger than the destruction of Jerusalem. It's the destruction of the world. The same world that was destroyed by the flood. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Don't you get impatient because you want to put the Lord on your clock. The Lord can take a little longer than you think. And so don't get impatient. The Lord may look at a thousand years as a day, and a day is a thousand years. Don't worry about it. Just keep trusting in Him, and we're going to believe that it's coming soon because if, if the apostles could say it was soon, and they lived in its looking for it and waiting for it and loving it, then we certainly should be. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. He's not a slacker like these scoffers might want to say about Him. This verse is taken out of context so many times, they don't even know what it's in here for. The Lord is not slack about His second coming promise, as some men may accuse Him of slackness, but His long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is giving us a space of time to repent. Us, the elect. This, this epistle is written to the elect. First Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Second Peter chapter 1, verses, verses 9 through 11. Let, make your calling and election sure. This is written to the elect. He's long-suffering to usward. He's going to allow a, cha- a, a space of time for all of the elect to repent. And He's calling on us to repent. That's why it's taking a little bit of time. It's not that He's slack. It's not that His promise isn't true. He is indeed coming. Verse 10 through 14. Now, verses verses 1 through 9 is the promise will happen. Don't let anyone scoff about this promise. It's as sure as as the flood of Noah. And hopefully we all believe the flood because we read about it in Genesis 6-9. through Because it's the same Word, the Word of God, that judged the earth then, and that same Word is holding it right now, reserved to being burned up by fire. And now we get a few more details on the effect it ought to have on our lives. The promise is sure. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. 
If a thousand years is a day and a day is a thousand years, then we can't pin the Lord down and be date setters. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And we know what this is talking about. This is not some spiritual fulfillment because verses 7 and 8 already told us it's the same thing that happened in the days of the flood. This is an important passage. If you ever want a place to go, when some preterist is trying to push everything into 70 A.D., then you just go over to Second Peter. There's other places, but this is one place you want to go because it's a physical judgment of the physical earth and the destruction of all that we know as the heavens and the earth. Just like the flood overwhelmed the world that then was. The world that is now, the one after the flood, is going to be burned up. Seeing then, verse 11, this is what we want. This is what we want. We don't want answers to preterists. We want answers for our souls. We, we want both, but you know what I mean by emphasis. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? There's that word conversation again, a lifestyle that's based on heaven, like Philippians chapter 3. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. Hasting. Can we make it come faster? No, but we can want it to come faster. Not only are we looking, but we're hasting. We, Lord, come quickly. That's our attitude toward the whole thing. I want it to come today. And if you want it to come today, then you would live today as if it could come today. And that's how we ought to be living every day, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. And here we have the description again given of what will happen, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, because it's certain, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of Him in peace, without spot and blameless. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes, let peace be reigning in this church. Let peace be reigning in your homes. Peace in your marriages. Peace with everyone that you have to deal with but especially in the house of God. Peace without spot. The world not, have, not touching us. We don't have spots on us because we've got close and it has sullied our clothing. Blameless. There's nothing He can charge us with that He catches us in at the time of His coming. This is how we ought to be living. Lord, help us to do so. 1 John 3. 1 John 3. We could go to chapter 2, the last two verses. I just, I just want the, last, the first three verses of chapter 3. Oh, there's, there's so many more. If God, will give, if God will give me the time this week, I'll finish up this outline and get it on the Internet, and you can see that, wow, the New Testament's full of it. Full of it. What did Jesus say three times in the last chapter in your Bibles? I come quickly. I come quickly. I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. And it's not all pretty. Him that is filthy, let him be filthy still. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, and your love is shown by labor, the labor of love, don't tell us you love anybody or, or the Lord Jesus Christ without some labor backing it up. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. 
Wonderful verses. 1 John 3, 1, 2, and 3. Behold. Behold. Look at this. Can you believe this? Behold. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Every man that hath this hope in him, the blessed hope, of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. God has chosen men to be His sons, and that is the highest example of love the universe has ever seen. We are His enemies. We are ugly in every measure of a holy God. And He has loved us and made us His sons. Behold what manner of love it is. And beloved, since God has loved us so much and made us His sons, It doth not yet appear what we shall be. God has a whole lot more to give us than what He's given us yet. We don't know what we're going to look like, but we know this. When we see Him, we're going to look like Him. Because we'll see Him as He is. We will have the spiritual capacities that He has to recognize Him, and we're going to be like Him. He's our brother. What do you think we're going to look like? Should brothers look something like each other? He's our brother. Behold, I and the children which God hath given me, He's going to say. And we just read in Philippians chapter 3 how He's going to do it. He's going to change our vile bodies and form them into His glorious body so that it will look like the Lord Jesus Christ. This is coming for us. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. The Lord Jesus Christ is pure. He's holy. He's spotless. He's without blemish. He's perfect in all of His ways. All of His temptations in this world were without sin. And we want to be pure like Him. And if we truly have this hope in our hearts, we would purify our lives to be like Him, waiting for His coming, that when He comes, whether we're in bed or awake, at work, or driving, whatever we're doing, we're found pure when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. How much more can the Apostle say to us? He's going to burn everything up, so don't mind earthly things. He is pure, so love purity and holiness. He's going to change your vile body, so don't get discouraged about sickness and disease. All you're doing is taking cuts. You know what I mean by that, don't you? You're just moving ahead in the line to get there sooner. Every man that hath this hope in him. We don't talk about it enough. I'm sorry for not being a better pastor and telling and teaching you to think about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ more I'm trying to two weeks ago. I'm trying to today. And you'll hear more about this subject. But I pray that God will not let us just have a head knowledge of it, nor just know the doctrine of it, nor just be able to quote facts or verses about it, but that it will change our lives and our conversation will be in heaven from whence we look for the Savior, even Jesus Christ our Lord. It's going to be one glorious display, brethren. And we're going to be glorified with Him forever. Humble yourselves before Him. If there's anyone here that doesn't love the Lord Jesus Christ and you're minding earthly things, the Bible says destruction is your end and you're a belly worshiper. 
How in the world can you get excited about the crap that is in your life compared to the glory of what I just described from the New Testament? It's amazing. It's, it's mind-blowing. But it shows the depravity of our hearts that we would prefer the dung of this world by nature, the dung of this world, to the glory of eternity. If you live to be 75, 75 doesn't even measure on eternity. And if you lived to be 75 as the richest man on earth, your blessings in this world are not to be compared to the glory that's to be revealed. So by time, quality, quantity, and time, you lose, lose, lose. And the simple child of God that humbles himself before the God of heaven and looks for the coming of Jesus Christ wins, wins, wins in all measures. May God be praised. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And follow that belief up with bringing forth good works and make your calling and election sure. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. May Jesus Christ be praised.